listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. Um, today, I want to cover this, this thought process, um, and it's an important reason too. I titled it, Why Do I Need the Anointing? Why do I need the anointing? And we're going to cover uh, 10 vital functions of the anointing in your life. Uh, if we can't get through, again, all 10 today, we'll get into the rest tomorrow. But 10 vital functions of the anointing. reason this has been popping up in my spirit is look at how many churches in America have backed off from the Holy Ghost. Look how many churches in America have literally brushed it under the rug, even those that were full gospel, Pentecostal, charismatic. Man, you'd go into some of them, and you wouldn't know if you were in a Baptist church or not. I mean, there's no move of the Spirit. Uh, There's no manifestation of God's power. Uh, You don't hear speaking in tongues. You wouldn't hear a word in tongues with interpretation. You're not going to see the gifts of the Spirit in manifestation. Uh, You may not even see laying on of hands, all these different things. And it's like, man, People that used to be full gospel, used to be uh, unashamed, used to practice these Pentecostal uh, doctrines, you're not seeing it as much anymore. And uh, it's like they've told them in church growth seminars, you got to kind of brush that stuff off to the side if you want to see church growth. And that makes me laugh because, you know, Jesus Christ had no lack of manifestations of power in his ministry. And it never hindered the amount of people that came to see him minister. The apostles had no lack of the manifestations of God's power in their ministries. And it didn't stop the crowds from coming. The church grew uh, by leaps and bounds. And the church was filled with Holy Ghost manifestations. I'd like to start the broadcast today. Just have everybody putting it in the comments. All caps if you want to. We need the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost. I mean, more than ever before, you look at what's going on in the world, we need the Holy Ghost. And I want you to just write it. I want you to put it in your notes. If you're taking notes, you have a pad out today with a pen, or you got it with your your iPad or whatever, put it at the very top. We need the Holy Ghost. We don't need less of the Holy Ghost. We need more of his manifestations, more of his power more of his leading, more of his guiding. We need the Holy Ghost. And um, I mean, you're looking at somebody, as you know, I'm unashamedly Pentecostal. I'm unashamedly uh, charismatic. Word of faith. I don't care if people mock it. I don't care if they don't know how to back it up from the scripture. I am unashamedly word of faith. And uh, contrary to popular belief, uh, for most, most word of faith people, I'm not word of faith because I don't know how to properly interpret the scripture. I'm word of faith because the Bible teaches these principles and we've seen them in action. We've watched as God does what he said he would do. I'm not against the manifestations of God's power. I'm not against uh, what the Lord's doing in these final days. And by the way, if you're just new to the broadcast and you're watching, let me encourage you that the Holy Spirit has not ceased in his operation in any way, shape, or form in these New Testament times. 
uh, the gifts of the Spirit did not cease when the last apostle died. We're not cessationists, that we are continuationists, which means the Holy Spirit has continued in his manifestations and his operations in the church. Even the apostolic gifts are still in operation today in 2022, and uh, we still believe in prophecy. I still believe in speaking in tongues. I still believe in miracles, signs, and wonders. Those things have not ended. Uh, and so I'm unashamed of that fact. Well, in a culture where people have pushed the Holy Ghost to the side, you got to ask yourself the question, why do we need the anointing? And by the way, the anointing is the Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. He is the anointing. He is the anointing. And so really we're asking the question, why do I need the Holy Ghost? Why do we need the anointing in our uh, lives, in our families, in our churches? I mean, let's get the anointing back in our churches again and uh, and not be ashamed of it. And so, you know, first of all, before I, I jump into any of these 10, doesn't it blow your mind? That uh, And by the way, if you're just jumping on, share the broadcast today. But doesn't it blow your mind that there are churches that they are, uh, I mean, they may not come out and say it that way. I'm ashamed of the Holy Ghost. But look at what they do. There's Pentecostal churches, so-called, and charismatic churches, so-called, that won't even allow speaking in tongues in their Sunday morning services. You know what their reasoning is? Well, we have visitors that come. And that could be a little bit uncomfortable for the visitors. And it, it blows my mind that we're trying to form our church services around what would make an unbeliever comfortable. <laughs> That's not how Christianity works. We don't formulate our services as we come together to worship the Lord uh, in regards to what would make an unbeliever, unbeliever comfortable. When an unbeliever comes into your church, they should feel welcomed. They should feel loved. They should feel the peace of God. But there should be a level of discomfort that they feel. That's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so the first reason that we, we need the anointing, and I want you to put it in the comments, the first reason we need the anointing is because the anointing, the Holy Spirit, he convicts. He convicts. And so I want you to, I want you to put that in the in the comments. Number one, he convicts. That's it. He convicts. I want you to look with me in the Gospel of John, chapter 16. Pop that in the comments. He convicts. He's the one that brings conviction to the unbeliever. And... Uh, that's part, that's one of the main parts of the work of the Holy Spirit. He brings conviction to those that need conviction. I'm looking here, Jesus is teaching in the Gospel of John chapter 16 on the work of the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to read this uh, passage to you so you can see it because I want you to see that he doesn't just convict sinners. The Holy Spirit will also convict believers. Look at, look at this. I'm in John 16, and I'll start with verse number four. John 16, actually, I'll start with verse, yeah, I'll start with verse four. The Bible says this, but I've said these things to you 
that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Verse five, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you who asks, uh, none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. He's talking about the Holy Ghost. Now look at verse eight. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. But that's not all because they do not believe in me. But look at verse 10. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So notice this. Uh, not just convicting of sin, but number two, convicting of righteousness. Convicting of righteousness. And so there's a conviction of sin and there's a conviction of righteousness, according to this passage here. And, and he breaks it down. He said, uh, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So there's a conviction. We're still on number one, Jen. This conviction um, is, is not just for the unbeliever, but for the believer. You know, the Lord will start to convict your heart as a believer uh, regarding the righteousness of your life, the righteous actions of your life, showing you there's something more you need to be doing. You're not pressing in like you should. There are things, you know, there, for example, uh, it's, not a, it's not a sin. For example, if you didn't pick up your Bible today and, and read it, if you didn't pick up your Bible tomorrow and read it, well, it's not a sin to not read your Bible, but the Holy Spirit will start convicting you if you've been spending time away from the word of God. In fact, just by proof of that, if there's anybody watching the broadcast live and you've had the Holy Spirit convict your heart because you've not been in the word like you should have been in the word, just throw a hand up in the comments and, and, and you can prove the point of what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. It's not because you're in sin, but why? Because you're not taking actions of righteousness like you should be as a child of God, that you've not been praying like you should have been praying not reading the word like you should have been reading the word. And so what happens is the Lord, will, he'll begin to convict you by his Holy Spirit for actions of righteousness. It's not just conviction for sin, it's conviction for righteousness. And so he convicts the unbeliever of sin, but he convicts the believer of righteousness. And that's one of the reasons that we need the Holy Ghost, need the anointing in our lives. We need that convicting power to be in operation in the world. Sunday morning, last night, as I was preaching the gospel, and I gave a call at the end of the services for people to come to Jesus. And listen, one of the things I've learned, and I learned it from a minister who has shaken his region of the world. His name is Dr. Delford Davis. He pastors the largest church in all of the Caribbean islands. And he's in Jamaica. He's in Portmore, Jamaica, Power of Faith. And uh, I, I was with him one time preaching convention at his church. And I, I had lunch with him one day. And I said, 
uh, Dr. Davis, as I'm a young minister and he's older, he's like probably 66, 67. And I was probably at the time, uh, 34, 35. And I said, Dr. Davis, you've seen me minister multiple times now. I've been at your church. I've been at your sister churches. I said, is there any advice you could give me? Are there any things that you see that you would change? And he said, you do a great job. He said, the only thing I can really think of that uh, I would talk to you about, he said, when you're giving altar calls, he said, really drive home the point that you're you're living in sin and you need to repent of sin. Now, I've never given vague altar calls by any means, but you know, I'm not like one of these people like, how many are just tired of doing life alone? Amen. You just don't want to do life alone anymore. How many want just a community of people around you? If that's you, come to the, it's like, I'm not giving vague altar calls. I've always made sure to, to make it known that it's a call for salvation. You know, we had an awkward situation at camp meeting a few years ago because somebody was kind of giving an altar call for one thing. And in the middle of it, they flipped it to a salvation altar call. So it was like something at, at the beginning, it was like, for you know, I need strength. I need guidance or something. And I saw a guy come in, come to the altar and I knew, I knew that he was a preacher. And then the the preacher that was speaking flipped it and he was like, and there's sin in your life and you know, you're on your way to hell. And I watched the guy slowly inch his way back to his seat awkwardly. It's like, uh, I'm saved. But yeah, AJ, how many know you're carrying some baggage? Amen. And the, and the preacher, uh, Dr. Davis, he spoke to me. He said, the only thing I can tell you is really make it plain. Really make it plain and, and lay it out there. Well, I had been making it plain, but I had been kind of encapsulating all of the things uh, in one call. And so I'd say, well, how many of you uh, are, are living in sin? You're not ready to see Jesus when he comes, you know, and I'd give that call. And then I'd say also, maybe there's people here that, you know, that you were living for the Lord at one time, but you've gone away and you want to rededicate your life to the Lord. And then I'd say one other thing and, you know, thinking, well, the more, the more calls that I give, you know, it covers more people that need a touch from God. But he was very specific. He said, be very pointed about that. He said, there are, and he told me this, he said, there are people coming that know they need to be saved, that know they're living in sin, that are just waiting for the call to repent from sin. And I'd already been with him uh, for, for a, a few nights already at his church. And so that night I listened to the word of the man of God. And that night when I gave the altar call, I didn't give the other calls. I just was very specific. You're living in sin. You're on your way to hell. And I'm telling you, the altar was packed that night. Much more, many more people than any of the other nights. What, well, why is that? Because I gave a strong call for salvation. And what happened? The conviction of the Holy Spirit fell upon the hearts of men and women. And the Bible says no man can be saved unless the Spirit draws him. And I think many times uh, people don't understand that and they just think well, we, may, we need to make this as easy for people as we can. No, the Holy Spirit is convicting hearts. And, and it's like Sunday morning here, last night here, the altar filled with people coming forward to do what? Dedicate their heart to the Lord, to give their life to Jesus Christ, answering the call of the Holy Spirit who's calling them to repentance. And we need the anointing. 
We need the anointing. I mean, in the midst of all we see going on in the world, this grace message, this greasy grace message that is no gospel, that your actions don't matter, that you know you might as well throw Jesus' appearance to the churches in Revelation. You might as well throw that out of the Bible. You might as well throw out all the stuff Paul wrote to the churches, encouraging them to not live in sin any longer. I mean, you might as well just erase all that stuff from your Bible if you believe uh, the way that this modern-day grace message preaches that it's not about what you do, it's about what he did, and all of that nonsense. Because, yes, we are saved by grace through faith, but after we get saved, God expects some works. That's what James is about. We're not saved by works, but once we get saved, there better be some works because faith without works is dead. And so between that and the weak stance on sin that many denominations have put on to believers, and now we see large groups that are just completely falling right out of the spotlight. I mean, large charismatic groups that everybody was looking up to, and now they're crumbling in upon themselves. Why are they crumbling? Because they were light on sin, because they didn't preach holiness, because they did not set themselves apart from the world, and now they're being destroyed. Why? Because of this very thing. They didn't allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to cause them to be set apart unto God. And it's damaging because sin is a killer. It kills everything it touches. Jen said, is there such a thing as overworks? Well, when, start pe when people start getting into legalism uh, and start teaching that there's another way to be saved through works rather than by grace through faith, then that's heresy. That's heresy. But we're saved by grace through faith, not by works lest any man should boast. But when we get saved, there better be some works attached to your faith. I'll tell you what, Jen, I would rather, if I was going to be in, in error on one side of the road or the other, I would rather be in error on the side where I'm trying to please God too much rather than on the side where I'm trying to be too liberal in my Christian freedoms and just do whatever I feel like doing and say, well, his grace covers me. I'd rather try to go over the line on pleasing God than I would on doing whatever I can to look as much like the world, knowing I've got Christian liberty and freedom. I can do what I want. It's not a sin. I'd rather do overworks, as you put it, in pleasing God than I would in seeing how close I can get to the world before it's a sin. And that's why, when the, when when and I've done a video on this, that's why when it comes to drinking, I know there's Christians that drink, but I would rather, see, I think about it this way, because, you know, Christians always say, well, it's all right to drink as long as you don't get drunk. But then I ask this question, who determines what drunk is? That's what you got to ask yourself. Do you think God's uh, definition of drunk is more loose than the state? If you can't drive a car with a, a blood alcohol level of a certain amount, you know, and many people would say, I'm not drunk at that thing. That's just the legal term for what drunk is, but I'm not drunk. I've got my, I've got all my, you know, uh, senses intact. And people think, well, I'm not really drunk at that point. It's just the legal limit. Do you think God's limit is more loose than the world's? Or do you think it's more strict? And I don't even want to get close. I don't want to know how close I have to be. You know what people never take into account? I know I'm going on a rabbit trail, but I'm proving a point. You know, what if it's me and my wife? Well, we just drink casually. Well, I'm 240 pounds and she's like 115 pounds. And so we go to a restaurant and we both have a drink. Well, it's not going to affect both of our bodies the same way. 
<laughs> the content of my body is different than hers. And what if we haven't eaten yet? We don't know. We got no food on our stomach. Now we're drinking. It's going to affect her differently than me. We had the same drinks. You see what I mean? That's why I don't even try to go that direction because I would rather err on the side of trying to please God too much, even giving up some of those Christian liberties. In Why? Because my pursuit is I don't ever want to get too close to the place where, oh, I went over the line without even realizing I did. See what I mean? And so that's why I think about it in this way is that I know the Holy Spirit is there to convict, to keep us in holiness, to keep us in holiness. And so I want you to, I want you to hear that very clearly from me, that uh, I don't think you can ever go wrong when you're obeying the Bible in trying to please God too much. I don't think you can ever go wrong by following Scripture trying to please God too much. God's pleased when people seek him in holiness. He's pleased when people uh, seek him in righteousness. He's pleased by that. He's pleased by that. And so, I, yeah, and, and of course, uh, AJ makes the great point like Paul does. We have to consider weaker Christians. Are we becoming uh, a stumbling block to somebody else who may be weak in that area, who may, have, may overindulge or they came out of a life of partying and drinking and they don't want to go back, but you know, they see their Christian. I'll give you a story about it. We were holding a tent meeting in Lexington, Kentucky one time. And <clears throat> as the tent was up in Lexington, Kentucky, um, there was a guy that was homeless that stayed on the tent uh, campgrounds every night in a little pup tent. He had his backpack. He had a pup tent and he stayed out there every night and came to the services. And one of the, I think it was the last night he came to the altar to give his life to Jesus. And uh, we got talking to him after the service was over. And uh, I, I was kind of talking to him, expecting him to be like, you know, a new Christian that didn't know anything about Christianity. He's like, oh, no, no, no. He said, I, I used to be saved. He said, I was called into the ministry, actually. He said, I went to Bible school. He said, but he said, even though I got delivered from drug addiction and alcoholism when I got saved, he said, I went to Bible school. He said, I got around these other students at the Bible school that uh, they, they were all into the grace message. And he said, they got, got with me on Friday night and said, hey, you coming with us? We're all going out. We're going to hit a couple of bars. We're just going to hang tonight. And he said, I thought we don't do that stuff anymore because we're Christians. And they said, oh, no, you don't understand grace. You don't understand Christian freedom and Christian liberty. And he said, they explained it to me. So I went with them. He said, and I would go with them all the time. He said, it wasn't long before I was back into alcoholism and back into drug addiction. He said, I dropped out of Bible school, came home, lost everything, and became homeless. Now, he's telling me this in the Kentucky fairground where we had the tent up. And, and it was just, it sparked my spirit that people, we don't understand, there are people that got delivered from stuff. They're not looking to go back into the same bondage that they had before. And so we have to be an example to those. We have to be an example. I'm not trying to look like the world. I'm trying to be separated from the world. And that's why holiness is important. And that's why we need the Holy Ghost as the one who convicts us, convicts the world of sin and convicts us of righteousness. And it's important. That's one of the main reasons that we need the Holy Ghost. Number two, the second reason that we need the anointing is because he is the one who empowers us. Without the anointing, there is no empowerment. Without the anointing, there's no empowerment. So number two, 
the Holy Ghost, the anointing, empowers the believer. And let me tell you, we need power. We need power. I don't want to go into a battle without a weapon. And it is the Holy Ghost that empowers us. And so the Bible, and Jesus is the one who said this, telling, to, telling this to his followers, his disciples, telling them to go tarry or wait in Jerusalem until what? Until they're filled with power from on high. That's found at the end of the Gospel of Luke. He spoke to them. He said, go and wait in Jerusalem until you are filled with power from on high. And then they recounted his words at the beginning of the book of Acts, chapter 1. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. Then you'll be my witnesses. A witness is someone who can produce evidence in a case. A witness is somebody that can produce evidence in a case. So what does that mean to us? If when we are empowered by the Holy Ghost, we can then produce evidence of what case? That Jesus is alive. That's the case. Jesus is alive. The power of God in action is a proof that Jesus is alive. When miracles happen, when people are healed, when people are delivered, when people are saved, when people are baptized in the Holy Ghost, it is proof, evidence, Jesus is alive. And so the Holy Ghost empowers us. He is the empowering force. Do you know, this will blow your mind to hear this, but it's absolutely scriptural, which is why I want you to turn to Luke chapter 4, and I'll show you this from the scripture. Uh, Luke chapter 4, Jesus Christ was not empowered for 30 years. He was born as the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. The Word made flesh that dwelt among us full of grace and truth. Sinless from birth. But he was not empowered for 30 years of his life. And it showed. It showed because nothing supernatural happened from his life. Now, his birth was supernatural. But nothing supernatural came out of his life until he was empowered. Now, I want to show that to you in the scripture. If you go back to Luke chapter 3, you know the story. He's going down to the Jordan River, and he asks to be baptized by John the Baptist. And notice this. As he's going down to the, to the Jordan, John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus Christ to come. And uh, Jesus comes down and asks to be baptized. And he's like, listen, I don't, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. So, so notice this. The Bible says in Luke chapter 3 and verse 21, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens op were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And now look at Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, 
returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So notice what happened to Jesus at 30 years old. He got filled with the Holy Ghost for 30 years. He was not filled with the Holy Ghost and he was not empowered. But then, after his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon him and according to scripture, and Jesus was now full of the Holy Spirit. Returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. What did he do there? Fasted and prayed for 40 days. Now look at 4.14. Luke 4.14. After his fasting, after his prayer, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. He came back in the power of the Holy Ghost. They'd never seen Jesus like this before. What happened? He just got empowered. He got empowered by the Holy Ghost. And notice in John chapter 2, you see the very first miracle that Jesus ever did. In fact, the Bible tells us that. After he turned water into wine, the Bible says this beginning of miracles did Jesus at Cana of Galilee. I'll read it to you from the ESV so you can see it. And uh, it's, it's John chapter 2 and verse 11. It says this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So notice that even Jesus as our representation, as our uh, the model of our lives, even Jesus needed the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. Even, he was modeling that for everyone that would come after him. Just because he was the master, he was showing us, I am now in a flesh body. I am living life as a man. I am going through every temptation. I am overcoming the devil at every turn. I'm living free from sin. And I need the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. And notice there was nothing he could do without the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. And see, that's the same thing we need as believers. We need the empowerment. You know, I know there's some people, now listen, you'll never hear me belittle speaking in tongues like many people are doing today. You know, like, well, speaking in tongues is not that important and it may not be for everybody. You don't find that in the book of Acts anywhere. You don't find that in the New Testament anywhere. There's no, Let me just say this. Unless you're willing to take the Bible out of its own context and manipulate the scriptures, you can't teach from the New Testament that speaking in tongues is not really something that's for every believer. Not unless you manipulate and bend the text to say things that it does not mean. So you won't find that in the book of Acts. You'll not find any kind of a choosing process or a separation process. By the way, everywhere in the book of Acts that people were filled with the Holy Ghost, all of them spoke with tongues. You'll not see anywhere in the book of Acts where a group of people received that power and then only a, only a portion of them actually got tongues and then the rest of them, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, but they, you know, they just begin to walk in love more than they ever had. It's not how it works. Tongues is the initial sign and evidence of the Holy Spirit's baptism or infilling. Without question, it is. And some of these guys nowadays that try to preach, you know, it's, it's not about tongues. It's about, do you walk in love? Let me tell you something. Simon the sorcerer saw them all get filled with the Holy Ghost in, in the city of Samaria. And he wanted the power that the apostles had because he saw something 
happening to the believers when they got filled with the Holy Ghost. I can tell you, he didn't see them walking in love more than they ever had. You think Simon the sorcerer was looking around like, my God, you laid hands on these people. And now they're just, they're a lot more kind than I've ever seen them. That's, that's not what he saw. And in all these places, people spoke with tongues, but it's, it's the initial sign. You'll never hear me belittle tongues, but tongues is not the reason you get filled with the Holy Ghost. Notice what Jesus said, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He didn't say, and you shall receive tongues. He said, and you shall receive power. The reason you're filled with the Holy Ghost is to be empowered by God to do the thing that you've been called to do. And so the second function of the anointing, and by the way, these are in no particular order. I'm not of importance or anything else. I'm just reading them to you off of my list that, that I've put from the word of God. But uh, we need to be empowered by the Holy Ghost. We need the power of God in our lives. Why? To stay free from sin, to do the work he's called us to do, to tear down um, the kingdom of darkness. Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these, because I'm going to be with my Father in heaven. So he said, the, th the same thing I'm called to do, you're called to do. And 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, the Bible says that the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The apostles continued destroying the works of the devil. The early church continued destroying the works of the devil. The first century church fathers and the second century church fathers continued to destroy the works of the devil. And today, in modern day Christianity, we are still anointed to destroy the works of the devil. It's done by the power of the Holy Spirit, without question without question. So the number two, second function that we're dealing with of the anointing is to empower every believer. Number one, to convict. Number two, to empower. Let me give you this. Number three, to guide, to guide us. Put it in the comments. The third area that we're talking about today is to guide every believer. The Holy Ghost is your guide. He is your God. Listen to this now. The Bible says in John chapter 16, I'll start with verse 12, Jesus here. I still have many things to say to you, John 16, 12, but you cannot bear them now. Verse 13, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come, the things that are to come. So notice that he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is a guide. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so every one of us are called to be led by the Spirit of God. He's a guide. He should be able to, uh, if you are listening to his voice, he should be able to give you input about every decision of your life, and especially the major decisions. I cannot understand when Christians 
make major life decisions without prayer and fasting. They don't even attempt to hear the Holy Spirit's voice. They literally just do whatever seems good to them. They, they just come up with a few options and they pick one. I don't want to make any decisions in my life or my ministry that the Holy Spirit is not guiding me to make. I would feel foolish by making life decisions that were not inspired by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is this. God has a plan for every believer. God's got a plan for your life. Those of you that are watching, those that are listening on the podcast, God has a plan for your life. And if that's the case, would you not then want to discover what that plan is and then follow through with that plan? You know, you got to ask yourself the question, who do I think could come up with a better plan for me? Me or the Lord? And the answer is, he could come up with a far better plan than we ever could, even if we had the best planners around us for 30 years. In 30 seconds, he could give you a, a life plan that's far better. Because of his infinite wisdom versus our finite wisdom, and we discover the plan of God. I want to be led by his Holy Spirit. I want to hear his voice in my spirit, and I want to be led in the direction he wants me to go. And I've talked about this in, in previous uh, uh, series and in previous videos, that sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you to do something that doesn't even make sense to your natural mind. That's happened to me multiple times, multiple times, that the thing the Lord's dealing with me and Carolyn to do, it doesn't even make sense in our natural minds. But guess what? He's leading us to do it anyway. And we obey his voice, though we don't even understand why we're obeying his voice. We do it because what? We know his voice. We know his voice. I want you to put this in the comments. I know the Holy Spirit. Put that in the comments. And I'm jumping back two chapters to John 14 here because I want to drive this point home. I know the Holy Spirit. Hmm. I know the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. John 14, again, Jesus talking about the coming Holy Spirit. John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father. He'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Look at this. Even the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Hallelujah. I know the Holy Spirit. So notice what Jesus is saying here in John 14, 17. The world does not receive him, nor do they know him, but you know him. Hallelujah. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I know the Holy Spirit. I know the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I know the Holy Spirit. I know his voice. 
I know his leading. I know his guidance. I know the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people just need to cut out uh, distractions and anything else that's bogging down their time and just speak to the Holy Spirit and let him speak to you and hear his voice. Life decisions would change. Things would begin to uh, shift in your life by the voice of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I know the Holy Spirit. And so one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to be your guide. He's the one that is supposed to show you which way to go. And he'll guide you in all things. He'll guide you in all things. It'll be mind-blowing. He'll guide you to, to, to the right person to marry. He'll guide you to the right career. He'll guide you to the right church to attend. He'll guide you to the right place to live, the right home to buy. Mind-blowing. He'll guide you in every area of your life. And then the, what's the result of the guide, guidance of the Holy Spirit? What's the result of that? Well, Isaiah 48, 17, the Bible says, I'm the Lord your God who teaches you to profit and leads you in the way that you should go. And so when you follow the voice of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to take you into decrease. It's going to take you into increase. It's going to take you into blessing. The Lord doesn't speak to you to destroy you. He doesn't guide you to cause you to fail. He guides you into victory, guides you into blessing. And so one of the main reasons we need the Holy Ghost, we need the anointing, he's our guide. He shows us where to go, what to do. He's our God. Every single thing, and I want it to remain this way, but every single thing we've done in our ministry, where we've moved, what we've done, even the way we acquired the studio, as you know, it's all been by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Everything, everything. What I did after Bible school, where I went to Bible school, how I met my wife, how I found my house, all the different things, everything, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You rely on him and he causes you to profit. He causes you to, even the relationships, the people he connects you with, let those be guided by the Holy Spirit and it'll be, the relationships will be a blessing. You try to form your own relationships. You try to go do your own thing and you're around and you're in places you shouldn't be around people. You shouldn't be all of a sudden you got relations you shouldn't have and it's causing a conflict, but everything should be guided by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And when he guides you, it's always into a better place, a more fruitful place, a place of provision, a place of peace, a place of love. You see that? Because he loves you. He cares about you. No loving heavenly father is going to lead you into a place of harm. I mean, I can't even imagine doing that to my children. Now, kids, I want to take you somewhere today where you're really going to be hurt by the end of this trip. Man, foolishness. People, people talk about God sometimes like he's a child abuser. Well, you know, the Lord led me through this tough season. The Lord led me through this pain that I'm dealing with because he's got a purpose in the pain, brother. There's a purpose in the pain. People talk about God like he's a child abuser. Can you imagine leading my children through something and just like hurting them and hurting them and hurting them, but then tell them, listen, I'm leading you through this because there's purpose in this pain. Kids, listen to me. There's purpose in this pain. You're going to be stronger in the world after I hurt you and lead you through hurt than you were before you didn't have any pain in your life. And there's people that believe that crap about God. 
They treat God like he's a child abuser. If God was a human being, child protective services would come take us away from him. Because he's, the way some people talk about him, he's an abuser. That's not the God we serve. That's not the God we serve. That's right. That's right. He always teaches by his word. He leads by his word and his spirit, and he teaches by his word and his spirit, not through pain and suffering. It's not the God <laughs> that we serve. So number three, we need the anointing because the anointing is our guide. The anointing is our guide. Let me give you another one. The anointing is our comforter. He's our comforter. Put it in as number four. The anointing, the Holy Ghost, is the comforter. He's the comforter. I'm staying right here in John chapter 14. This is a very interesting uh, passage of Scripture. I like to look at Scriptures, too, in different uh, versions and translations because you can see little areas where uh, the translators are trying to help us to understand the original language. And so we see this in John chapter 14, speaking about the Holy Ghost. Uh, and I read this passage here. Let me read again. John 14 and verse 25. I'm going to read now from the Net Bible, the New English Translation. I've spoken these things while staying with you. Now listen to what it calls the Holy Spirit here. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will cause you to remember everything I've said to you. So here's a word being used by the net, the advocate, who is the Holy Spirit. The uh, English Standard Version, which I often read to you from, calls him uh, the helper. The helper. Of course, the King James calls him the comforter. The comforter. You say, well, why, why is that word there, the advocate? What's that about? Well, it's interesting because this, this word for the Holy Spirit here, the advocate, is the... Greek word, uh, parakletos, or we've heard the word paraclete, the Greek word parakletos, and <clears throat> it's really cool because this word, it can mean the helper or the counselor. Let me read this to you. It's hard to find an appropriate English translation for paraclete, uh, paraclete, let me say, say that again, parakletos weird word to say if you're an English speaker, parakletos. Um, it's a very difficult task. No single English word has exactly the same range of meaning as the Greek word. Comforter, used by some of the older English versions, appears to be as old as Wycliffe, but today it suggests a quilt or a sympathetic mourner at a funeral. Counselor is adequate, but too broad. In contexts like marriage counselor or camp counselor, helper or assistant could be used, but could suggest a subordinate rank, like the Holy Spirit's under you. He's my assistant. No, he's not. Advocate, the word chosen for this translation, has more forensic overtones than the Greek word does, although a forensic context is certainly present, because an advocate is someone who advocates 
or supports a position or viewpoint. And since this is what the uh, paraclete will do for the preaching of the disciples, it was selected in spite of the drawbacks. So it's hard. One thing people don't understand about the Greek language is that it's so dense that some of the words have something that's referred to by scholars as a semantic range. A semantic range means it's such a large range of meaning in one word. That's why the translators here are telling us it's hard to go word for word and say, I'm going to take parakletos and, and just translate it to one English word. Because we may not have one English word that matches the depth of meaning in that one Greek word. And the powerful thing about that is it really allows you to see all of the things that are encapsulated in that word about the Holy Spirit. Yes, he is your comforter. Yes, he is your helper. Yes, he is your counselor. Yes, he does come to assist you. Yes, he's the one that's advocating for you. All of these things are tied up into this one word in English, uh, but it's hard to break it all down from what the Greek means, but we can see a range of meaning that all these things the Holy Spirit is doing at one time for the believer. He's comforting you. He's helping you. He's counseling you. He's guiding you. He's advocating for you. All of these things in one word in the Greek language. And it's, it's interesting to see that the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and brings comfort to the believer. You know, there are times when the believer, uh, and I'm sure, you know, why I've dealt with many of them over the last 24 to 28 months, where there were so many people who were so overwhelmed with what was going on in the world that they could barely even stand it. I know people that had family members that committed suicide out of fear because of these last two years of the pandemic and all that was going on in the world and couldn't take it and took their own lives. Well, what's going on? People are battling anxiety and they're battling depression because of what's happening in the outside world. But we've got the Holy Ghost. We've got the anointing who is the comforter. He's the comforter. He's the one that can come. You ever heard this phrase, and I'm sure you have if you've been in church for any period of time. He's the one that can give you peace that passes all understanding. Get that. Peace that passes or goes beyond human understanding. Well, what is that supposed to mean? It means that you will be peaceful. See, some people wait for a peaceful situation to have peace. It's like, thank God all that stuff's done. Now we can go back to having some peace again. I had peace in times where there was no peace because peace is not based on and I'm talking about Holy Ghost peace. It's not based on what's going on in the world. It's based upon what the word of God says and the Holy Spirit who's sent to you to bring you peace, to be your comforter in a time of storm, if you will. And so we have a comforter that's living in us that can literally give us a peace that goes beyond human understanding. You talk about peace. Let me give you an example that I've used before. Imagine back in the New Testament when they had arrested, the Bible says, a Christian in the church and executed them, executed them. And then they saw how that pleased the Jews. So they said, well, if that pleased the Jews, let's not just get another Christian. Let's get one that's pretty well known in the Christian com community. Let's get one of their apostles. And they grab Peter and they bring Peter and put him in jail. And it seems as though 
that the whole point's going to be tomorrow we're going to kill Peter. That'll really please the Jews. And so here's Peter in a jail cell and he's locked in, the Bible says, between two guards. And he's in that dungeon, in that prison, probably awaiting execution. But the church is praying. Now you'd expect Peter to be in this situation and be full of like turmoil internally. He'd be up all night praying to God, oh, save me from this, Lord. Deliver me from this. Don't let this come to pass. Oh, Lord, come out, come through in the last minute. I mean, you'd think he'd be like praying in speed tongues. But here's Peter. And because of the prayers of the church, God sends an angel to get Peter out of prison. And what happens? He comes into the jail cell, and there's Peter. And what's going on with Peter? He's dead asleep between two guards when he should have been freaking out, should have been praying. Should have been up all night. Supplications unto the Lord. He's sleeping. You think to yourself, how can somebody be out cold in peaceful sleep the night before their supposed execution? And here's an angel. The Bible said the angel had to strike him on the shoulder to wake him up. You know you've got serious peace when you're trying to hit the snooze button on an angel. It's like it's a jailbreak, sucker. We're leaving. They had to wake Peter up. What's going on? He's got peace that goes beyond human understanding. Nobody can understand why. How can you sleep in the middle of that? How can you sleep in the middle of that? Hmm. How can you sleep with all that's going on? This is number four. We're still on comforter. How can you sleep? Why? Because I've got a peace that goes beyond human understanding. You can't understand it, but I can. Because I'm the one that's got the Holy Ghost. So I understand it perfectly. I've got peace. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is going to always be the one that is going to give you that peace, give you that comfort. That's why as believers, we shouldn't have to battle anxiety like everybody else does. We shouldn't have to battle depression like everybody else does. We've got the Holy Ghost. We can constantly be in the presence of God and activating that power. Constantly. And in his presence is fullness of joy. And the Holy Spirit is our comforter, the one that gives peace beyond all human understanding. And the Bible says, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds by faith. The peace of God will guard. So the peace is a guarding aspect. It's a shield. Guards your heart. It guards your mind. That's what the comforter will do for you. Hallelujah. The comforter will do that for you. Let me give you one more before we pray today. I'll have to do the other five tomorrow. But number five, uh, the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God, what is he also there to do? The anointing is there. The Holy Spirit is there to reveal things to you and to warn you of things in the future. To reveal and to warn. So glad to have you from Eastern Oregon. Thanks for watching today. The McLeods are in the house. To reveal and to warn. That's number five. Put it in the comments. The Holy Spirit is there. The presence of God is there to reveal and to warn of things to come. Hallelujah. Show you things to come. This is not just a New Testament thing. God gave these promises even 
you know, to the prophets of old. You can go back and you can, you can see some of these things that are so mind-blowing. I mean, look at this as the, uh, the Lord's message comes to Jeremiah the prophet. Look, look how he spoke to Jeremiah a second time. And the Bible says in uh, Jeremiah 33 and verse 2 and 3, I, the Lord, do these things. I, the Lord, form the plan to bring them about. I am known as the Lord, and I say to you, call on me in prayer, and I will answer you. I will show you great and mysterious things that you still do not know about. So that was the word of the prophet all the way back in the Old Testament. You see what I mean? And so it's not something that's new to the New Testament. The Holy Spirit's always been doing this, showing things to come, warning of things to come. He told Jeremiah, I'll show you great and mysterious things that you still don't know about. Listen to the New Living Translation. He said, I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. Woo. Hear that. Ask me, and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. That's what he told Jeremiah. And so the Holy Spirit is there to show us. He'll show us things to come. He can warn us about things in the future. We were sitting in, a, in our New Year's Eve service, December 31st, 2019, and our pastor is delivering the word of the Lord to us at Abundant Life, Bishop Rick Thomas. And he starts preaching. And he's preaching about what the Lord showed him for the year of 2020. And uh, then he comes right out of his spirit. He doesn't know. Nobody, nobody knows the future unless the Lord reveals it. Right out of his spirit, he says, and when we get to March and all hell breaks loose, don't lose faith. You didn't do anything wrong. You just keep right on going. The Lord's going to bless you anyway in the midst of it. And people sitting around saying, what's he talking about when we get to March and all hell breaks loose? Then we got to March and all hell broke loose. And people were like, oh, I see now what he's, he was prophesying, showing things to come, showing things to come. And uh, it's important to understand the Holy Spirit is there to show us things that will come. Again, I read to you John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he's heard. Look, he will tell you about the future. That's the New Living Translation. He will tell you about the future. How does the ESV render it? He will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit, that's one of the purposes of the Holy Ghost, is that he can warn you ahead of time. He can uh, reveal things to you that have not even happened yet. He'll show you so you can be prepared. So you're not taken off guard by what's coming in the future. And I've told the story on the broadcast before. That's what the Lord did once with Brother Hagin and woke him up out of a dead sleep and told him that there was going to be a financial recession that came to the nation, told him all the steps to take so that it wouldn't affect his ministry. Brother Hagin immediately took all the steps that the Lord told him to take. And he said, finally, the recession did come. We weren't affected by it. Our ministry didn't have to suffer one loss. He said, in fact, it was during that time that all of the finances came in to build the Rama campus cash. And there in one, one year, he was protected. He said, there were many others that were affected by it. We were never affected by it. What happened? The Holy Ghost revealed to him things that were to come. 
and by the Holy Ghost, he was warned and he knew there's going to be a change. There's going to be a change. The Lord will do this for you. The Lord will do this for you and your children. The Lord will help you to know things about your children ahead of time. When I was in that car, uh, when I was in that car crash in Tulsa uh, in, in 2002, uh, my father, I called him directly after. I fell asleep driving my car on the way to work at night, third shift. I fell dead asleep at the wheel with no seatbelt on on 71st Street, the main drag of Tulsa. And I'm just coming down the road and fell dead asleep, drugged my car through two lanes of oncoming traffic, missed every car, into a restaurant parking lot, missed every parked car, missed every pedestrian. Only thing that woke me up is I went over those parking cement things at the end of a parking space, woke me out of a dead sleep, and I'm going through grass and into a warehouse parking lot. Never hit one telephone pole, never hit anything. I could have died. I didn't even have a seatbelt on. But I called my father afterwards, and he said, earlier today, I had a vision of you in a car crash. And he said, I began to pray in the Holy Ghost. And I prayed and prayed until I felt a release in my spirit. Some of the older saints used to call that praying through. Pray until you feel a release in your spirit. He said, and then I felt peace and I, I stopped praying. Well, I have no doubt that it was what the Lord showed my father by the Holy Spirit. He'll reveal things to come. He will warn you about things to come. That my father then prayed for a thing that hadn't even happened yet, but that the Lord had shown him. And then that thing could not come to pass in my life. I couldn't be harmed. Angels were around me, protecting me. Supernatural. Though I should be dead, I'm here preaching to you today. And that's what the Holy Spirit will do. He will warn you of things to come. He'll show you things to come. And you can be prepared and not taken off guard like the rest of the world that does not have a covenant with the Almighty God. Amen. We need the anointing. We need the power of God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to finish this tomorrow, and I want you to join me back here at 1030 in the morning because I don't, we, we've gone only through five. I got five more to show you uh, as to why we must have the anointing. We need the anointing of God. So very important for our lives, our families, our businesses, our ministries, our callings, our purpose. We've got to have the manifestations of the Holy Ghost, the power of God. Let me pray for you. Father, I'm praying for every person that's watching me those that are listening to me. We need the Holy Spirit to touch us today, Lord. We need the power of your presence in our lives. We need to see your, uh, your, your will come to pass in our lives. Not our will, but your will be done in Jesus' name. I ask you, Lord, to touch those that are watching and listening today. Many of them need deliverance. Many of them need healing. Many of them need to have a miracle take place in their families. Would you touch them today, Lord Jesus? By the mighty power of your spirit, every sickness that's tried to come against them, Lord, I ask you to remove it. By your power, let healing virtue flow through their bodies. Make them whole and take all the glory for your goodness and your mercy in Jesus' name. Lord, those that are addicted and battling, I pray you'd set them free today by the power of the Holy Ghost. Let this be the greatest seven months of a year we've ever seen. And by the time we get to December 31st, we'll look back and declare, man, God did supernatural things in such a quick period of time. We thank you for that, Lord. We give you praise for it and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you to sow your seed today. Maybe you've uh, just found our ministry. Maybe we're new to you. But you can go to our website, miracleword.com, and you can check out everything that's happening through this ministry. 
Specifically, click on the partner link in the menu, go to the partner page, look at all that's being accomplished. We're now on television preaching the gospel in over 180 nations of the world every week, seeing people saved weekly, discipled weekly. We're holding live revivals and crusades around this nation, other nations, uh, all the time. We're always on the go. We're always doing something. And then, of course, uh, everything that's taking place as we're feeding the hungry around the world, all that, you'll find it all on the website. And for those of you, maybe you've sown before, but you've never taken that step uh, to partner with us. I want to encourage you. The Lord's speaking to you. And the Lord's going to continue to add people because I've prayed. I said, Lord, this next level is going to require people that will stand in the victory tribe and believe you that there's going to be a mighty move of your spirit in this earth before Jesus comes. That's who's joining with us. People that are not satisfied with the status quo. People that are not satisfied with how society is going, culture is going. And there's the, the, the group of people that are standing in the victory tribe are those who are declaring by faith, we will see a mighty move of God before it's too late, before Jesus comes. And so I want to challenge you today. If you've not ever partnered with this ministry, click that partner page at miracleword.com and stand with us on a monthly basis with whatever it is that the Lord's leading you to do. Um, for those of you that are sowing seeds this month, the month of May, uh, we want to send you something to say thank you. And for everybody that sows $1,000 this month, we're going we're gonna to send you three things to say thank you. Number one, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown's book, The Gifts of the Holy Spirit. Number two, Brother Hagin's book, The Triumphant Church. And number three, the Net Study Bible that I was reading out of you today, uh, to you today, that we were talking about that Greek word for the Holy Spirit, parakletos. Uh, all of those notes that I read to you were from the Net Study Bible. And uh, we use that all the time now. It's such a deep uh, study tool. I, I'm so thankful for it. I can't even believe that it's a real thing. It's it's like one of the greatest things been given to Christians in the last 100 to 200 years. And I mean that. And I've looked at tons of resources. It's our gift to you uh, for those that are standing with us. Uh, and we say thank you for those of you that are sowing and partnering to be a part of this ministry. Don't forget, there's a brand new Last Gen episode out today. And um, Alex is dealing with Why Am I Broke? And he's dealing with four issues that keep young people broke and how you can walk in the blessing of God. Don't forget tonight, we're back in Revival, 7 o'clock p.m. right here in Crawfordsville, Indiana, Legacy Church. You can find us on all platforms. And then I'll be back in the morning. We're going to finish this up with five more vital functions of the anointing that we need in our lives. I love you guys so much. Have a great and a powerful day. I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.